what's going on, everybody? How's it hanging? How's it happening? You guys know what it is. This is Kevin from the Chord Progression Podcast with MSN Rocks or Rock Metal Thrive. Is it April 1st? Is April Fool's Day? We're actually not fooling you. It is April Fool's Day. It is April 1st. And man, we just keep cranking out these great podcasts. And I have another fantastic one for you today. So coming from Southern Indiana, one of the members from the band Blisskrieg. Blisskrieg? Who's Blisskrieg? Well, Blisskrieg is a new band on the scene today and made up from members of a bunch of different bands such as Tantric, Days of the New, Submersed, Eyes of the Empire. They have a brand new album called Remedy that has been out since late February. Definitely go check it out. There definitely has a rock core to it with a bunch of different types of sounds that we talked about in there. Funk. I even pick up on certain things like 80s hammer with like a girls, girls, girls vibe. Uh, Tremonti 2016 vibes. There is greatest 2009 vibes in there. Um, 2017 Foo Fighters vibes. Like there's so much going on in this album. Plus, we also talk about just the greatness that is music. It is fantastic. So please welcome Jesse from the band Blitzkrieg to the podcast. Are you ready? Please enjoy. Let's go! Yeah! Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the Chord Progression Podcast, the band I have on today comes at you fast and hard because, well, it's in their name. Their name is Blitzkrieg. I mean, you think of the German Blitzkrieg, you know, fast, hard, efficient, just straightforward. This is where you can get with this band when you listen to them, and you're going to enjoy it. So please welcome from the band Blitzkrieg, Jesse. So Jesse, welcome to Core Progression Podcast. Well, uh, thank you for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this all day. I've been looking forward to this all day as well. How's everything going out in your neck of the woods at, you know, this time of whatever year we're in right now with the pandemic? I completely forget. Yeah, there for a while, I, I just didn't even bother keeping track. Uh, I am uh, right now I'm in Indiana, which uh, I know you're a Wisconsin guy, right? That is correct. So uh, I'm in the great state of Indiana. And so our weather this time of year is a bit tricky. And I, I'm the kind of guy that I like to spend a lot of time outdoors. And I just never know what I'm going to get. And today I got rain. So it's, uh, but it's, it's all right though. Any, any day in Indiana is a good day. That's a good way to put it. Cause right now I'm looking out the window. I can see from my chair right now. And for the past like week before we shot this episode, man, it was super nice. It was like your forties and all of a sudden fifties, a couple of days, like mid sixties for a high. I'm like, Oh, this is nice looking outside right now. And it is snowing. Well, that's what you get when you live in. My son actually lives in Green Bay, uh, and I went and visited him, uh, I guess it would have been January, and uh, it's a special breed of people that will uh, that will live up there. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that one, because even, even go further north, there's people that I, kn- I know that live, you know, further northern Wisconsin. I used to live in Minnesota for a couple of years as well when I went to school up there, and it was just... Something completely different. But when it comes to just the rapid changing weather, the rapid changing of the seasons where, you know, you can experience all four seasons within a week. Being in Indiana, me being in Wisconsin, we kind of can experience that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really one of the things. I mean, I've been all over the world. You know, I've been in, in several different bands and I've been fortunate enough to travel everywhere you could think that somebody could play music. I've probably played there. But I always come back to Indiana, and that's one of the things I like about it. They don't pay me to talk about Indiana, by the way. Uh, one of the things I like <laughs> about the state is that you do get all four seasons. You get the hot summers and the cold winters, and you get the beautiful fall. And it's just like 
you know, it's a well-rounded existence here. It's not like uh, hanging out in Florida and every day is, is sunny for a little bit and then it rains for a little bit and then it's sunny <laughs> again. Uh, you know, every place has their, their little, um, you know, weather patterns or whatever, but, uh, I just kind of like it here. Not only for the weather, I don't want to nerd out on weather, but, uh, I, it's just a great spot. It's right in the middle of the country. It's pretty much, uh, what's the word equidistant. It's like, uh, it pretty much wherever you want to go, it's about the same distance away. You know, you're right in the center of the country. So you want to go to New York, you want to go to LA, it's not exactly in the middle, but it's close enough for me. I mean, I'd say like for me, I'd be more in the middle in Wisconsin. However, I am further north. So it just kind of also that kind of messes up with everything as well. However, if everything does go well and hopefully it does go well, I will end up being in your home state of great state of Indiana come Memorial Day weekend to watch cars go around in circles for 500 miles. Oh, are you you're a racing fan? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm almost, uh, they may take away my Hoosier card for saying this, but I've never, ever watched the Indy 500. I've lived here. I don't live in Indianapolis, but, I, you know, I'm in southern Indiana. Uh, but I've never really paid attention to, to, the, to the auto racing. I know it's a big draw up there. I don't think, I don't think they're going to take away your Hoosier card for that one. <laughs> well, in, in my defense... Uh, I'm in the southern part of the state, which, you know, basically, if you had a good arm, you could throw a rock and hit Louisville, Kentucky from my house. So when I think racing, I think of the Kentucky Derby. We, you know, horse racing is a big thing around here. We don't really, there there are no, I'm not going to say there are none, but in this part of the area, there's just not a whole lot of auto racing that goes on. Oh, totally understandable. I mean, even up here in Wisconsin, it's, we have one little small track that's about maybe 30 miles away from where I live. It's a quarter mile track. It's always fun to go there to go check out some races because it's just small time guys. It's always fun to watch them go around just on a dirt track. Otherwise, like when it comes to just major racing, I mean, you got to go to southeastern part of the United States. You got to go to places like Alabama, uh, Georgia, Florida, the Carolinas, Tennessee, really yeah. focus on that. I mean, I've I've gone to the Daytona 500 once beforehand. Again, fun is all hell. It was like my, it was a thing that we did for my dad's 60th birthday. It's supposed to be my brother, my dad and I was like, oh yeah, you know, take, take the two, have the two kids take you. Yep. It was just me and my dad. So. <laughs> so let me ask you this. You're a, you're a spectator, but do you ever actually, do you have a car that you would race? Do you ever race yourself? I never would race myself. However, there I've gone to a good number, like those, uh, more of those high, high speed go-kart tracks. Cause we have a couple around here yeah. and I, if I get a chance to go to one of those, I'll just go have a bunch of fun, try and figure out the different nuances of each course, figure out the cars, how to drift them properly. Always try and break the, uh, like the course record time for if you able to uh, beat this time, then your racing is free for that day. I always try and beat it about half the time I get it. And half the time I'm just short by like maybe a 10th of a second. So it's a form of gambling a little you're, bit. Yeah. You're trying to see if you can get your money back for your mission. <laughs> a little bit, but even if I don't get it, then it's kind of like, you know, I still had fun either or I was racing around, having a good time. Even I was hanging out with some friends yesterday, we were talking about how we ended up going one day. It was like, there was about eight of us that went to a track, just had a whole bunch of fun doing it. And the amount of times we put one kid in the wall because he was slow, was always trying to block us. We're like, nah, screw this. T just kind of take him off from the back, put him in the wall and everyone's just going around him having a good time. 
Now, here's something I have to ask for a place like that. Uh, if they have a place like that in Wisconsin, do they let you drink in those places? Or are you not allowed to drink if you're going to drive the go-karts? Ooh, uh, as from the place that I go to here, which is about like maybe about 20 minutes away from my house, so it is in Wisconsin, it is actually connected to a bar. I think everything in Wisconsin is connected to a bar. <laughs> I think it's a state law. I don't know what you guys do up there, but there we could never support as many bars as you guys do. Um, I think so I think in Wisconsin there is the the statistic is there are more bars per capita than grocery stores. I believe it. A- again, like I was just up there in January and it at first it was just something funny you notice like oh man there's a lot of bars here. And then you really start paying attention. You, oh, there's a lot of bars here. <laughs> like, you know, down here we get the normal. You know, you get a few bars, but you also have the you know the banks and the pizza places and the grocery stores. You got a good mix of everything up there. It's bar, grocery store, bar, pizza place, bar, bank, bar. It's like there's a bar on every corner almost. It blew me away. And I can absolutely 100% verify that, right? Because even right now, um, this, I think it was a couple weeks ago, so my friend texted me, hey, we're going to this place, and they were watching a re- like a wrestling pay-per-view. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go. Why not? Where? What's, what's the name of the bar? They told me the name of the bar. I looked up on my phone, and I was laughing because it was five blocks away from my house. And I'm like, oh, shoot, okay. So I literally I went for a nice little walk beforehand. Just, I just ate dinner. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll take my time getting there. And by the time walking around... I probably walked past one grocery store and about 15 bars before I got there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a different, different place up there. So it's, it's weird whenever I go anywhere else and it's like, okay, where are the, like, okay, you know, let's go stop at a bar. Let's go stop somewhere else. Where can we go? And it's just the places are you can go. So it's like, okay, everything's so much more spaced out. I'm used to just having some, like I can literally walk a couple of blocks no matter what. And there's going to be a bar somewhere right there. Yeah. You know, I was trying to put a theory together in my head. Um, and again, I don't want to take over the whole show with this sort of, uh, <laughs> this topic, but when I was up there and I was noticing all the bars, I was putting a theory together in my head. I was like, why is it that they have so many more bars up here than we have back home? And, and I, I almost wanted to attribute it to the fact that it's just so cold most of the, not most of the year, but a huge chunk of the year. It's so cold. You can't really do anything, but drink, you know, like, like we can pretty much nine, nine or 10 months out of the year. Um, I could go hiking down here. I might be a little cold. You'd have to wear a coat or whatever, but it's not going to kill you. Uh, and up there, it seems like, you you guys don't have as many options for a good chunk of the year other than to just stay inside and drink and hang out, you know? And even so. during, I'll say, and even during those months where you can just go outside, like the nicer months, there's a lot of times where people will still go to the bars because yeah, you got those outdoor patios, just go hang out, do whatever, have a good time. Even when, uh, like before the, like the week before the pandemic hit in 2020, we end up having this gigantic bar crawl in downtown Milwaukee called the Shamrock Shuffle, just our like a St. Patrick's Day bar crawl thing. And they had five different like locations and different streets that were holding it. So you could go all these different streets and each street had like 15 or 20 bars that were taking a part of it. And of course, my best friend and I were like, well, how can we make this the most fun as possible? And we rode there on a tandem bicycle, just two guys on a tandem bike, blasting a bunch of like dropkick Murphys, flogging Molly and Gaelic storm all the way through Milwaukee. We biked for maybe like 
a half hour. He was kind of weaving around if we're having a good time. A couple of people are looking at us like, who the heck are these guys? And then we get to the street that we're going to be uh, doing this bar crawl on. It's more of the just kind of like cultural, looser street. And everyone is just like seeing us ride down the road and it's just going like, yeah, yeah, woo. <laughs> well, it's good to find people that you relate to. You know, no, ab- absolutely. And I mean, from what I've learned from, you know, just I'll even say it's like just kind of hanging out here in Milwaukee, going to the bars, being friendly with everybody. Whenever I go places, whether it's go anywhere else in the United States or when I've traveled to Europe, just being friendly and just being my normal goofball self. It really goes a lot of places. I meet a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, hear a lot of different stories. And then even being on like the podcast as well, talking with people that I've never met in person before. Just after about two, three minutes, it feels like I'm talking to someone who I've talked to for maybe four or five years at this point. That's a unique personality trait. You should be thankful you got it. Oh, I absolutely. It, it, it comes in handy. It comes in. Ha- I, I, it's something I have to work at. Every once in a while, I'll get a, I'll get in that flow state where I, where I can, you know, converse and talk to people that I don't know. Most of the time, if I don't know people, I kind of clam up, you know, but I'm a bass player. So we're a different <laughs> breed too. You know, oh, absolutely. Because I was going to say, one one thing I always ask to start off this podcast, so you started with three questions and you've already answered two of them. One is what your name is and two, what you play in the band Blitzkrieg, which is bass. But I got to ask the third question because I always ask this to everybody. It's always my favorite to kind of really get things kicked off, even though we've kicked off with talking about bars and the difference between Wisconsin and Indiana for about 12 minutes at this point. I got to ask if you have like a fun fact or like a crazy story about yourself that will probably make me laugh and smack my head on the table in laughter because I've heard some crazy ones before and I was to see who can top who I've heard ones of people. Um, let's see, getting hit by box trucks be- on accident. I've heard ones of people in bands, chloroforming another member, taking them to a beach and then burying them halfway in the beach just to make it look like their legs got amputated. This is also in Florida as well. If that makes any sense. It makes a lot more sense when you say Florida. <laughs> Because again, Florida is its own place. Um, so, okay. Now the bands that I've been in historically, I wouldn't have to chloroform any of those guys because they just chloroform themselves. Uh, (laughs) you know, it's, I, I've been in some, uh, some pretty crazy situations with bands. Let me just start question one. My name is Jesse Vest and, uh, I play bass. Uh, I've been the bass player for uh, my first band was uh, called Days of the New back in the mid to late 90s. And then I started another band called Tantric and uh, uh, co-wrote and recorded the first two albums of Tantric. And then uh, I sort of stayed local. You know, I'm still in this sort of local, let's call it regional band. Uh, called the crashers and we do a lot of uh, corporate work uh, you know smaller private events and some bigger festivals Uh, but sorry my most recent project is uh, of course the bliss creek record so that's a little summation of what i play and who i played it for as far as an interesting fact about myself or or a cool story about myself full disclosure I knew this question was coming because I listened to a couple of other episodes of your, of your podcast. Yes. Um, so I, I, but I really had to think about it because, 
you know, the challenge in situations like this is uh, not to repeat yourself and not to use a story or a scenario that you've already talked about on another podcast. And I think I came up with one and it's not, it, it's definitely not, uh, you know, chloroforming band members. <laughs> uh, but uh, when I was in days of the new, uh, we had the uh, honor uh, of opening for Metallica one summer. We did like 42 shows opening for Metallica. Um, and so we were the, like the opening opening act. And then the, the person that went on after us was Jerry Cantrell. And that was when he first did his, the Boggy Depot album, his first solo record. Um, and then of course Metallica went on after him. So uh, I've, I just sort of remembered this time that, like I told you, I, I typically am not the, uh, the boisterous outgoing personality. Um, but I remember one time we were at this after show party and I was just kind of hanging out and, uh, Jerry Cantrell came over to me and the, the, you, you're familiar with a, uh, what do they call those places? What's the, what's the business that they have like all kinds of video games and games you can play, but it's a restaurant and a bar as well. Like a Dave and Buster's? Yes. It was a Dave and Buster's in Denver, Colorado, 1998. I'm hanging out. Jerry Cantrell grabs me. Basically, we get shit face drunk. And we spend, I can't even tell you how many hours playing this Jurassic Park video game where, where you're shooting, you know, you've got the little gun. Yeah. And I, it was probably new technology at that point. But we spent had it felt like hours if it wasn't we spent a very long time trying to defeat this game uh and we were both drunk of course so we probably couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with those guns <laughs> um but that was just a cool little story that i've remembered that i don't think i've shared anywhere else so i thought i'd put it on here i mean oddly enough the i really like that story mostly because of the fact that you talking about that jurassic park game it reminded me back when I was like six or seven years old because I played the exact same game at a uh, little like arcade thing here in Wisconsin. We were at the Wisconsin Dells at a water park resort thing. And my brother's friend and I, we had like 20 bucks between us and we decided, okay, we're going to beat this game any way possible. We got to the, we got to the final dinosaur and we're like, we're on our lap. We don't have any money left for like, cause we've wasted it all on this whole entire thing. We're right about to win, and all of a sudden, we both get hit, and it's like, oh, continue, put in 50 more cents per player, and we're out. And we were just irate the whole entire rest of the trip because we were so close. We were almost so, there. So we had like it's, two so more it's hits not left. just me. It, it's, it's, not, it, it's a difficult game, then, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I, it made me comp- like I that, that whole entire trip was ruined from that moment. I'm pretty sure there were a couple other things that we had did that that weekend that were just super cool and super fun. You know, going down water slides, probably knocking people off of tubes because you know, those kids. What else are you gonna do except have fun, cause some crazy mischief? But the I all I remember from that trip was just it was completely ruined because of that freaking Jurassic Park game. Yeah, I remember it being very difficult, but uh, we. Because this was a, a uh, Metallica basically had rented the entire day. It was closed to the public. So, so they had rented the entire building out and everybody got these cool little cards, little plastic cards, and you could play free all night. So 
we just kept going and going and going. It was like, Hey, can we get another drink over here? We'd go in and going and going. I don't think we ever beat it. I remember being difficult, but I am not an avid gamer, nor was I then. And, um, again, we were quite inebriated. So. I was going to say, I feel like at some point in time, we're going to be having to like converge these two stories into one to where you and I are going to have to try and beat that exact same Jurassic Park game or whatever is updated right now with Jurassic Park. But also the fact that kind of use your idea and drink during the whole entire thing and see what happens. Well, it would be more fun if nothing else. Exactly. Um, That's pretty much what we're going for. You know, I mean, you're a, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you're a younger fellow, right? I'm 26. 20. Six. Six. Okay. I'm just trying to do the math here. If you were playing it when you were six years old and I was playing it in 98, I, I wonder if some Twilight Zone moment we were playing it at the same time. It, um, prob- Probably not because if you're playing in 98 when I was six years old, that would have been 2001. Okay. You're supposed to go with me on that one, but we'll do the real math. I was using Indiana math. You got to use that fancy Wisconsin math. I got I, I, my my the degree I went for in college involved a shit ton of math. So when it comes uh, to certain things, I got to keep it in context with that. I, I went to school for economics and now I'm doing podcasting and also data analysis for another company as well. So eh, what you going to do about it? Well, that's hey, at least you got a gig. You know, that is true. I, 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 I just read stories in the news. Uh, about people, you know, getting out of college and not being able to find a gig in what they're qualified to do. So, you know, at least you're doing something that deals with, with, would you say data and data analysis? There you go. I'm sure there's some numbers in there. So maybe that economics degree came in handy. It, it did a little bit. Oddly enough, it's come more into effect with doing the podcast or anything with MSOTD rocks, just because trying to figure out like recognizing certain trends, way things are going and just basically discovering different things in the world, especially within the world of music as well. It's kind of just that perception thing that really worked out for me. Because if, if I didn't go to college and I didn't kind of do the stuff with economics, that certain perception I wouldn't have that I'm using to the fullest extent here. So I'm kind of like, I am using it, not in the full ex- extent that you think I would be using my degree, but I'm still using it somewhat. Yeah. In the so you're using it in the liberal arts sense where you're just a more well-rounded human being for having had that experience, right? Exactly. No wonder why when I went to Minnesota, I, like when I did my economics degree, it was in the College of Liberal Arts. Like now I'm making all the connections here. <laughs> well, I never. Uh, sometimes I beat myself up because I didn't go to college, but uh, you know I was presented with a lot of opportunities when I was very young. And uh, I figured college would always be there and the, those opportunities would not always be there. So, uh, I took the music route and I, I definitely would not say that I have regrets, but, uh, I think my life would have turned out obviously quite a bit differently if I'd, uh, you know, taken my education maybe a little more seriously, you know? Oh, totally understandable. But one thing you did say in there that's sticking out my head is that when you took the music route and saying that you really don't have any regrets, that's going to be a huge thing going forward because one person I always listen to when it comes to anything with business podcast up is Gary V. One thing he's always talking about is like when it comes to regret, there's a lot of people that are living with that. You know, if you have an opportunity to try and do something that you're really passionate about that you love, go for it because if you do it and you succeed at it, 
then fantastic. You're succeeding at what you want to do in life. If you go for it and say it doesn't go out, it doesn't work out very well, then later on in your life, if you look back and say, I wish I could have done that, it's like, well, I did do that and I figured out it just wasn't working for me, wasn't worth it. So you went the route that you wanted to go on. And I mean, take a look. You've been in music your pretty much whole entire life at this point. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, the fact that that's a pretty big achievement is not lost on me. Um, I know a lot of guys personally, I mean, there's a lot of guys within 20 miles of where I'm sitting right here that, uh, by any measure are more talented than I am, you know, better looking than I am, uh, play better, write better songs, but because they weren't fortunate enough to have that one moment where the right person saw them under the right circumstances, um, they weren't able to, to take this really awesome trip that I've been able to take for the last, I don't even know. I mean, I, I've been playing music. I've been getting paid to play music. Let's put it that way. I've been getting paid to play music since I was about 13 or 14. Um, so I'm about 30 years in this business at this point. So, and that's something uh, that not a lot of people are going to be able to say. Yeah, it's it's a rare thing. Uh, the music industry, as everybody knows, is a it's very difficult to stay afloat in it. And I am not going to pretend that I have been constantly afloat. There have been some dips and there have been some big waves and it, you know, uh, but overall um, it's, it's been an enjoyable experience and overall it has paid my bills for the majority of my life. So uh, thankful for, thankful for the opportunity and, and just the sort of, blessing because I realized that a lot of people want to do this and, and it doesn't work out for them. It, it is unfortunate that there's so many people that want to do this and it doesn't work out for them. But then again, it is the nature of the business as well. There, there's just so much, so much out there that can be performed, played, seen. But when it comes to really making it big, cause I was recently talking with Sahaj from the band ride, we were talking about the overall bandwidth that people's attention span, the world's attention span really has. We're talking about those bands that you think love, or those artists that think have absolutely made it within any kind of genre. It's really like 10 or 15 that people really know every single thing about, like kind of like know within that genre. Like if you think, uh, use metal for an example, when you think about metal bands, like, you know, everyone's going to know Metallica. People are going to know Slayer, the big four, uh, Megadeth, Anthrax, they're going to know Pantera. And it's just, you think about like, there's so many other bands that are out there that are even, you know, still playing, that could be playing today if it wasn't for the pandemic, going and playing shows in front of like 1,000, 2,000 people. And even if they want to continue to get big, I mean, who else? there's not that many bands that get to play in front of those crowds consistently. So it's just kind of keeping into perspective and staying humble throughout the whole entire thing, which is what I've been picking up with what you were talking about, where you've been doing this for pretty much your whole entire life at this point, playing live music and been fortunate enough to continue to do that and also have it pay your bills. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with everything you said there. It's there's a a weird thing um, that takes place. You know, you, you just mentioned a bunch of uh, what I've heard other people refer to it, but I I like refer to bands like Metallica or Anthrax or even if you go into the more like traditional rock world, bands like Journey or Aerosmith, like those are like legacy artists and they have this huge legacy and this huge following um, because they've been 
not only have they been in the business continually for decades and, you know, write written quality material, but they focused consciously or unconsciously, they focused on building a brand. So when you say journey, you, you know, you know what you're talking about. You know, everybody knows what you're talking about when you say, oh, have you heard the journey song? Whatever this is, people are going to know that. Uh, the challenge for me, what I've found most challenging is that there's been this progression of, you know, I did the, my first album with Days of the New. And then basically three quarters of Days of the New. So myself, Todd and Matt left Days of the New, got a new singer, became tantric. So there was that transition of, you know, we no longer have that direct legacy of the days of the new name. We couldn't really build on that anymore. And, uh, it, you know, and now Blisskrieg, it's the same three guys. It's me, Todd, and Matt, and we have a new singer. So we, we can't use the tantric name or the days of the new name, even though we've spent, you know, a lot of time uh, building relationships with fans and uh, rock media in general. Uh, the name Blisskrieg has to be built back up from scratch. So even though we've been around for decades at this point, the challenge is reintroducing people um, to, you know, who we are and what we've done. Oh, easily. That's going to be the challenge. One thing you do have a little bit of a leg up in terms of just when you're starting out with Days of the New from the first time was the fact of how many people know who you are personally the different connections you made within the music industry as well. So when it comes to building this up, you do have a little bit more of those connections to work with. However, when it comes to the mind of fans, when they see the name Days of New and they see the name Tantric, they're going to have this idea of what to expect. When they see Blisskrieg, it's going to be something completely new. So it's kind of like you wipe the slate clean on this and now you got to go forward and try and rebuild that brand right from there. In terms of using, like again, Metallica as an example, they've continued to build on their brand since the 1980s. And have kept it going up and up and up to the point where, I mean, I've been seeing different like things pop up on uh, YouTube with Loudwire's, uh, well, yeah, with with like Loudwire's countdown. It's like, oh, every like 10 times metal artists were appeared in cartoons. And then they appeared on The Simpsons. It's like and the cover is always something with Metallica to do with it. So, again, building that brand is something that is important. And yes, you are basically starting out from like the ground level at this point. But the kind of uh, the in the weird way you do have a little bit of advantage because you've already started out there twice and you're back there. So you kind of know what you have to do to build it back up to basically get people to recognize what Blitzkrieg is going to be, what the brand is, what the sound is, and really start to build up on that once again. Yeah. The, we, we really, um, it's almost like it is a different band. Uh, even though it's the same, you know, three members of actual musicians, we have, you know, Donald is a, is a new singer for us anyway. Uh, he's got his own musical pedigree uh, that he's had some, some pretty great success and done a lot of great work in the past, but uh, you know, it almost is like it's a new band because while we have this history, you know, the three of us have this history with each other and we can, uh, very much so anticipate what the other's going to do. You know, we get into a room and we're writing a song or we're playing a song. I pretty much instinctively know what Matt's going to do. Uh, and he knows what, you know, we can follow each other very easily. Um, the flip side of that coin is that it's, it's been a while since we've, the three of us have played together. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a learning experience 
maybe interpersonally because we're, we're as, uh, as people, we're so much more mature than we used to be, which is weird. You don't really, most musicians, you don't think of them as maturing, but you know, as, as people, uh, we're, we're a little older now, I'd like to think we're a little wiser. So it's been fun getting to know these guys as adults because we really grew up with each other as, you know, kids and teenagers. And, uh, so now getting reacquainted with them, uh, after this sort of hiatus, it's been really fun. Oddly enough, I can honestly relate to that pretty well because when I was a kid, my be- like I had a best friend, we were always doing everything together. All of a sudden we were like maybe 11 or 12 years old. All of a sudden we just kind of stopped hanging out with each other, stopped really talking to each other. I team like once every three months, even though he lived right across the street from me. And that was it. All of a sudden, one day I ran into him literally on a street corner. Him and I went for a walk and it was like rediscovering my best friend all over again. It was one of the coolest things ever. So I got to ask when it came to getting into uh, Bliss Creek, getting back with Todd and Matt and being able to basically reconnect these guys and seeing how they've grown along with yourself as well and really kind of relearn everything you've known about them, especially in the music sense. What was that like when it came to writing all this music with Bliss Creek? Well, I, I think it expressed itself uh, most noticeably in the finished product. Uh, you know, the process, like I said, the process, a lot of it was similar because we had this style and we kind of fell back into that style of reading each other and, and you know, finishing, finishing each other's sentences, musically speaking. Um, but the finished product, when you listen to the Bliss Creek record, it really does sound like a mature record. It, it's, you, you know, the days of the new record, that first days of the new record, uh, while I, I'm very proud of it, and it, it, it really is kind of a timeless record. In some, in some ways, you can tell it was written by children. <laughs> you know, we, we recorded that record. I was still in high school. Uh, my matter of fact, my, my principal at the time actually let me out of school for two weeks to, to go down to Nashville to make that record. Uh, and I, if he had not been such a cool dude, I'd not, I would not have graduated high school because I was going one way or the other. Uh, but he allowed me to, he, I don't know what the process is, but he wrote it off or whatever. So, um, we recorded it when, when we were teenagers and a lot of the stuff that's in that record, you can tell that um, even though it does, it's a good quality record. You could tell that young people made it. The Bliss Creek record, I would have a difficult time envisioning that record being made by young people. It just sounds a lot more seasoned and mature, um, which is a good thing. And and it's a it's to be expected, I guess, because we are more seasoned and mature. Let's call it seasoned. This is this is seasoning this white beard here. (laughs) Oh, I think seasoning is the perfect way for it as well, because when taking a listen to the whole entire record as well, you can definitely tell, I would agree that it definitely has more of this seasoned feel to it. And I think a bit, the biggest reason is because the certain amount of different uh, styles and influences that you guys worked on with some of these songs, I was able to pick up on where it seemed like they fit in very well with that, where if you're talking about, you know, making a record back when you're in high school or with anybody out there that's making a record, you know, high school, just getting out of high school, maybe late teens, early 20s, there's going to be a certain sound there. It's going to have this more just raw, um, 
try to like unmolded sound in a way. I think that's like another way to put it where it's just, it's going to, you, you kind of know exactly what you're going to get is not going to be these like completely insane, um, like transitions are completely insane. What's the other way? Like just different mixes in there just because you might not have been exposed to as much stuff. So you're not able to like trying to, you know, if you're trying to mold certain, uh, styles within like maybe a rock sound, put like a little funk in there, put a little eighties style in there, a little eighties synth in there. If you haven't been exposed to so many of these things, then you might not be able to put them in there. However, as time goes on, you listen to more of this stuff, you find out about more of this stuff and you're able to pick up on certain nuance of it. So when you're trying to include it into your music as well, it just has more of this natural flow because you understand what makes that special. You understand what you're working with as well, what makes that special. And when you're trying to combine those together, what's going to work in order to make sure that uh, influence blends perfectly within your core sound as well. Harump. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Uh, You know, one of the things that happened very organically in the writing of the Bliss Creek record was that in a strange way, I feel like the Bliss Creek record was, uh, you know, a lot of the writing occurred outside of the writing room. And what I mean is like we would sit in the writing room and, and we would actually, you know, bring the riffs in and bring the melodies in and say, okay, what, you know, what's the beat going to do here? We would actually work with it, sit in a circle, you know, sort of like Kumbaya sit in, you know, <laughs> literally we were in a circle and we were working with these songs. But when we were not in the writing room directly, <clears throat> we would talk about, um, especially with Donald. Because, you know, the, the three of us had, had a long history with each other, but, but this was almost like a, a, a us getting to know Donald uh, in a real world sense, you know, getting to learn about him. And, and we had so many conversations about music and what music we loved. And it was a, like this uncanny mix of artists that we all, you know, we, we would just talk about the obvious ones, of course, you know, you, you talk about the master puppets and the injustice for all, but we but we'd also talk about, you know, Phil Collins and Huey Lewis in the news. And, you know, these, these bands who were not definitely not hard, heavy rock bands, but they had this, just this feel and this vibe and they had these great melodies uh, and these, these catchy hooks. And, you know, like when you listen to, uh, uh, the album four by uh, Huey Lewis and the news. It's, it's just, it makes you feel good, you know? And, and, uh, but there were so many different artists and different albums that we would talk about that, that Donald and us just had this immense love for. And I think that in those conversations, I think having the conversations about those other albums of those other artists just in the atmosphere I think some of that distilled down into the finished product, you know, like people will say, uh, Oh, I, you know, I, I love this song on the bliss Creek record. It's got this feel to it. And I believe them, you know, because we were, you know, after we would leave the writing room, we were hanging out, having drinks at the end of the night, we would be listening, you know, to these different albums and these different artists. And it's almost like it'd be impossible for some of those influences not to find their way in to, to the, to the album, you know? Oh, I totally understand that because I'm taking a look at my little note sheet I have on a different screen right now and I'm going through every single song. Like I highlighted a piece 
on almost every single one where I'm like, okay, this is sticking out to me where it kind of feels like this might have been an influence on this song or this might have been an influence on this song. They were trying something with something that, you know, I've heard here on this other song as well. And it's kind of cool because there are so many different little, there's so many different artists and so many different songs able to just tap on and from multiple different places as well. It's not like it was stuck within like, oh, it's just stuck within, you know, that 80s kind of like soft rock, like new wave sound like you mentioned with Huey Lewis in the news. No, I'm, I'm seeing something from like, you know, more 80s hair. I'm seeing something from more of these two, like 2000s rocks, some from more from the 90s as well. Some from more of like a 70s, 80s funk inspiration and even something from the 2010s. Like I'm picking up all these different things on different songs. So it's really interesting to kind of hear that as well, where you guys all got together and even when you're not writing, just talking about music and just understanding what everyone thinks about certain albums and just connecting on that realm. And of course, when you're connecting like that, eventually stuff like that will funnel into your music because you're all connected with it. You're all thinking about it. You're all into it. So when you're writing it, it feels good to you guys. You are understanding where it's coming from. So when you're writing these songs and all of a sudden you're putting in something, that you know, you might have got influence from Huey Lewis in the news. It's going to fit in there. And even if it doesn't fit into that specific spot, someone else in the band might be saying, hey, I like that idea, but it might also fit in a little bit better here, given yada, 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 yada. Then you try it out and it might work, might not. You never know, but you have the comfortability and you have the trust to make that happen. Yeah. And some of these, some of these conversations uh, were spoken and some of them were just sort of innate. They just sort of happened, you know, and then I can look back retrospectively and say, oh, okay. You know, this, we were talking about this album while we were making this song. And it's almost like I can hear a little bit of this influence in it. You know, it's, it's everything uh, plays off of something else. Um, you can definitely bring your own originality to it, but it's difficult to just have, you know, something completely new and original. And if you do have something like that, people aren't ready for it. They don't know how to interpret it, you know? So if we had gone straight from, you know, the Beatles uh, to Pantera, there's too big a gap there. People wouldn't know how to do that. But you cannot say that Pantera was not in some way a direct lineage from the Beatles. You know, there, that you, could, you could play the Kevin Bacon, you know, seven degrees of separation with the influences and you, you eventually you're going to get from the Beatles to Pantera. So, but I, I think that, uh, you know, music in general, and, and I've found that like country music, are you a country music fan at all? Um, not really. No. Okay. And that's okay. I know a lot of people aren't, I grew up listening to country music. Like my dad was a bluegrass fan and my, and my aunts all listened to like, you know, more traditional country music. So I have an appreciation for it, even though I don't listen to it a whole lot. Um, country music is very accepting of artists copying from other artists because most country music kind of sounds the same, you know, it, there's not a whole lot of variation. Now, some of the newer country music sound almost sounds more like hip hop songs or pop songs, but traditionally there's not a, you know, you, from 1960 to 1990, there's not a whole lot of change in country. It's kind of the same format. Um, so country is very forgiving about stuff like that. 
rock, the rock realm is less forgiving. I've found over the years. I remember I was telling somebody this story the other day that I remember when days of the new first came out. Um, and you know, every once in a while you'll play a show and, and there'll be some guy there that's kind of a jackass, you know? And I remember we had this guy who actually waited in line to come and talk to us to get an autograph, waited, you know, waited in line. He got up to us. And the, when he got to us, the thing he said, the, the thing he waited in line to say was, you know, you guys are nothing but a bunch of Alice in Chains wannabes. And now here in, in hindsight, I can see there was some truth in that statement. You know, I mean, Jar of Flies came out in 94. The first days of the new record came out in 97. If Jar of Flies had not happened, Days of the New would not have happened. There's a direct correlation there with that acoustic feel and everything. But what was almost even more funny to me is I remember when after Days of the New fell apart and me and the other guys put Tantric together and we'd be out on the, on the road and we'd have people come up and sometimes people would say like, people would come up and be like, you guys are just days of new wannabes. And it's like, <laughs> brother, you realize that you're talking to three quarters of days of the new right here. Like, <laughs> we're not, we don't, we are days of the new. This is who we are. <laughs> and I, the guy had no clue. You know, it's like, of course we sound like days of the new, you jack wagon. Um, so, but it's just funny, you know, the rock world, if you let's call it borrow, if you borrow vibes, I mean, I can understand if you're, if you're stealing direct riffs and harmonies and melodies, whatever, I can understand that. But, but the rock world, if you have too much of a close feel to another band, people will accuse you of, they'll just say you're a wannabe of some other band. And again, there might be some truth to it, but I think as a general rule, we need to be a little more forgiving of those circumstances because some of the greatest music that we've ever had is somebody trying to sound like somebody else, you know, and, and we're the beneficiaries of that. So. Oh, absolutely. I, I was going to say one band that comes to mind for me is uh, use Greta Van Fleet as an example, because there's a lot of people saying, Oh, you guys are just Led Zeppelin wannabes, but I'm just thinking about it too. It's like, there hasn't been really any band that sounded like Zeppelin since Zeppelin. This might be the closest thing we have to it. And it's coming out you know 35 years later and there are people that are getting into this sound and now people that were never going to check out Led Zeppelin beforehand are now going and checking them out and being like oh my god this is absolutely amazing so yeah. I can see where you're kind of coming with like there are people that are going to say it is less forgiving however there are certain times where it might not necessarily be a bad thing in the overall scope of growing rock and metal in the world today well yeah everything uh everything in moderation, including moderation. So, um, I, there's, there's goods and bads for everything. Uh, I, as a general rule though, and again, being as someone who has experienced being on the receiving end of those comments, um, it just seems, and I think that it, it, part of that is attributable, not necessarily to the I don't think that these people are sitting around, you know, with the intellectual pursuit of trying to maintain purity in music and, and delineate between different uh, genres or whatever. I mean, the, 
actually, I'm going to censor myself right here because I was about to say something that I probably shouldn't say, and I'm not going to say it because I'm not. You almost tripped me up. I wasn't trying to trip you up. I was just, <laughs> I'm just enthralled in the conversations. But if, again, if you don't, if, if you're going to censor something, you don't want to say something, totally fine by me. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just something that could be very easily taken out of context. Um, so I, I'll, I'll just, uh, not say it. Just, just but, hold on to that one for a yeah. minute. Totally understandable. But I do have to bring up some with the Blitzkrieg record as well, because I mean, I'll, like with certain songs, I mean, I'll bring up certain, in, like certain things that I picked up and certain influences, like on take it back, just with the intro, the way the guitar riff sounds. The first thing I thought of, like, I was feeling, it had that same vibe of, like, a Motley Crue 1987 track, kind of like, girls, girls, girls. I was just thinking, like, this kind of drives the exact same feel home. And so it really gets you into it with more of this, like, energetic, fun, pulse-pounding sound, just kind of driving forward, just like, you know what? Yeah, this is awesome. So starting out with something like that, again, I'm just picking up on certain influences. Then you go to the next song, She Cries. And I'm going from something from I heard from, you know, that would have been coming out in 1980s, 1987, going all the way into 2016, coming off on She Cries, which felt like something off of the Mark Tremonti solo record from that year with a softer song that he did something like Dust or Unable to See, which is what you did on She Cries, just with the way that like the certain tones are, a little more of acoustic vibe to it, has a little bit more of a heavy feel to it as well. But it's just, I love absolutely what you did with it because it just pulls in again, a completely different feel to the song. But of course, the craziest thing is, is your core sound is still in every bit of this. It's not as prevalent as some other bands have done with their core sound, but it's there's still a piece there that really connects every single song from one to the next. Well, I'm glad that you think that because it was a it was an intentional thing from us uh, when we were making the record, and more importantly, not only the writing, but of course, you know, the the recording and making sure that the sounds were right and. Uh, because we, you know, we did all of this ourselves. There's no producer, there's no engineer. We literally, it was the four of us did everything. Um, so I'm glad that that came across to you, uh, in that way that, that you feel like it's, it's still our sound. We wanted to maintain that. Um, and, and we also wanted it to have an overall, and I think that we did, we're able to capture this as well. We wanted it to have an overall analog feel where you can almost if if you close your eyes and you're listening to the record it's almost like it was recorded on tape and not digitally um and i think that we were successful in that it, it this this record maybe not the songs themselves but the the sounds and the tones of the record could have been recorded in the 80s um we just you know some of that stuff just has that classic timeless sound and so we wanted it to sound like a real rock band, you know? Um, but it's, oh, I lost my train here. Where was I going with that? What was the original question you asked me? I think oh. I got off on my own tangent and I forgot. Oh, I like, I like you're going off on the tangent though of us, a record really feeling like it had that analog feel to it. Cause right when I was thinking about that, I'm like, there was definitely that feel of it. And I was trying to figure out where I kind of heard that feel of like, you know, listening to an album, listening to a record that still had that analog feel that has come out since the digital age. And it, the one that reminded me of it was Wasting Life by the Foo Fighters, just because when they actually recorded that album, they did it all on tape. They did it all analog. They didn't do that one digital. And that's probably my favorite Foo Fighters record of all time. And listening to it, again, the sounds, the songs don't sound anything like the Foo Fighters. 
except for the except for maybe one which is destination unknown because it kind of felt like with how donald's vocals work especially in the verses it felt like dave Grohl's sky is a neighborhood kind of feel to it on that track so that's where a little bit of the connection for me is made there however it just has a feel of you're kind of ta- you're kind of having this like transcendent going back in time feel if you're going to listen to this record and you put it on put your headphones on close your eyes and just get lost in it. You're, you're going to feel like you're going to go back in time a little bit just based on how this overall sound of each song is compared to, again, if you look at any other song that might be recorded within Rock and Mel today where it just has a little bit more of this, I don't know what the best way to put it, like, it's not the over, it's just the way the record is. It has this little bit more of a grittier sound to it like it is recorded on tape instead of digitally and just like perfectly smoothed out. Yeah, the... I think that the there you can over, especially digitally, you can definitely overproduce a record, and and take the character out of it. And one of the things, um, this is another topic that we talked about a lot during the making of the record, is that when you listen to, like, let's take a really old school like Motown, you know, you, you listen to all those old like the really cool James Jamerson bass lines, you know, and and all the the Jackson five and the, the, you know, all of those old school Motown bands, those songs are loaded with mistakes, man. Like they're not played perfectly, but you just almost can't imagine them any other way because they're such character and the digital world can take character away from the song uh, and, and can take that character away from your listening experience. You know, the, the, the first days of the new record, we, that was recorded on tape and it was crazy because it, I remember, you know, of course I was very young, but I remember going into the tape room with the engineer. He had to make an, do an edit. And, you know, he's literally, he's got his hands on the, uh, the reels and he's moving them back and forth and you can hear it go wah, 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 and he settles on this spot and he's okay. That's where I'm going to cut it. And he takes a razor blade and he cuts the tape and then he takes tape and he tapes it back together in another place. And it's like, man, that, I mean, you just had to have some cojones to try to pull something like that <laughs> off. And that's the way it used to be done. And so you skip ahead only a few years in the first tantric record, you know, it wasn't all digital, but it was mostly digital. So the, the, the transference of, of that technology happened very quickly in the grand scheme of things. And I think that when you listen to the days of the new record, I think I used this word earlier. It's, it's almost more of a timeless record. Um, not necessarily song content themselves, the, the content of the songs themselves, but the way that it sounds, it could have been recorded in 1969 or 1999 or 2009. Like it's just a timeless effect. Now, as much as I'm proud and love the, the first tantric record, I think it's a good record and I stand by it, but it is not timeless. It sounds like a record sounded in 2001. And so there's a difference there. And we wanted to capture that, more open traditional analog sound. Uh, and I think that for the most part, we, we really were able to pull it off. I think you absolutely hit the mark on that one as well, because given just the audience a little bit more of a, uh, 
comparison with it. I mean, take a look at YouTube as well. When you go back and look at some of those old YouTube videos you used to watch, like 2006, 2007, I mean, they do, there's, you can tell they're made in that just the way, like certain animation, like they don't compare to anything that was made, you know, in 2017 to 2021, but it just has this certain feel of it where it's just like, it's kind of cool to go back to that using the first tantric record as example, where it's like, you can tell it was made during that time, but music decor, it's like, I think I saw somewhere where it was like, Art decorates space, but music decorates time. So that tantric record, when you listen to it, you're going to just end up going back to that time. When it comes to the Blitzkrieg record or when it comes to the Days of New Record like you're talking about, again, it's going to have more of this timeless feel to it. So you're going to be able to kind of just get transported to wherever you want to go with if you close your eyes and just listen to the music. I got to be honest. I have never heard that quote before, and that may be my favorite quote of the week. Art decorates space, but music decorates time. Yeah, I saw it like maybe a month ago. I saw it, I just kind of just sat back. I thought that is absolutely correct because there's certain songs I listen to and I just go back to specific moments in my life, you know, maybe four years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Hell, every time I hear The Dream Is Over by Van Halen, I go back to being two years old in my parents' basement, jamming out on air guitar with my brother and my dad. Yeah, it, it really does have this sort of, transporting effect it takes you back to whatever moment you most associate with it um and that's a well i guess depending on your perspective it's a good thing and a bad thing you know you can associate music with a bad time in your life and 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 then all of a sudden a great song can become less enjoyable to you to listen to later um but again i'm gonna write that down that's a fantastic quote oh absolutely do and even i'm just gonna piggyback on that as well because i do have songs where I listened to them at one point in life and all of a sudden they were like, I, th I thought they were incredible. They just transformed me into a certain place in time where like, you know, things were going great. All of a sudden the dynamics completely changed and I did not want to listen to that song for anything because of how just the certain memories I had attached to it and how bad it made me feel. Now as time has gone on, even over a couple of years, I go back to that song. I still think of those memories, but then also think about, okay. I remember where I was at that point when I just could not stand listening to that song and where I was when that happened. Now look at where I am now. Look at that. It's just a complete arc and like a complete 180 of I listen to it now and it's just goes from being really happy to really sad to kind of like a redemption kind of feel. It's really weird how that happens, but I always look at it as kind of like taking back your favorite songs in a way. Yeah. And it's possible, especially really great songs. Um. You know, if if somebody broke your heart and stole a really great song from you, uh, you got to fight to get it back, man, because a good song is is worth the effort. Um, oh, I can even top that, too. I didn't do that with my favorite band. It's like the exact same thing, like the, like the really only girlfriend I ever had. I met her at a Rise Against show. That's my favorite band of all time. So there's so uh, many different memories associated with it. All of a sudden, when that ended, I really didn't want to listen to my favorite band anymore. And it was horrible. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I got to take this back. I got to find out a way. I don't know how. I literally went to go see them live by myself. Just wanted to see what happened. And when they were on stage for that hour and a half, I forgot anything bad in my life even existed. And I'm like, I got them back. This is fantastic. Like, I was yeah. so happy. <laughs> well, it's it, it's it's important, man. Music, um, again, I'm not uh, eloquent enough to put it like that quote that you said earlier. Uh, but, but everybody has that natural inclination and that, that sort of innate knowledge that, that music is, it's more than just, um, somebody else's expression. Uh, it, especially in our modern society, you know, since the advent of recording technology, 
uh, music is a soundtrack of our life. And so uh, it's going to represent good times and bad times for you, but it's such a powerful medium and, and it's so evocative of emotion like nothing else is, you know, watching movies, it's not the same thing. It's just not because there's something about like, I, I I love movies. Uh, I don't watch them as much as I used to, but I love movies, but you know, there's only so many times you can watch Forrest Gump and still get lost in that storyline and have it touch you the way that it did the first time you watched it. It's a very powerful movie the first time you watch it, but it loses its effect over time. And then it just becomes kind of like fried chicken and mashed potatoes. It's comfort food after over time. Yeah. Uh, music is truly emotionally evocative. It, it, it will, you know, and it's almost like it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. If, if it's the, the first time you've listened to uh, dark side of the moon, or if it's the 50,000th time you've listened to dark side of the moon, those, you know, those initial impressions still stay with you. Uh, they may shift a little bit, but it's still, it's a very powerful record. It doesn't matter how many times you listen to it, you know? Oh, absolutely. I was going to make a, like a little comparison too with music and people who really read a lot of books and getting like certain like uh, more fiction books. And the reason I think that is because when people read books, when people are listening to music, you only have one kind of stimulus when you're, when you're going through it, when it's books you're reading and you're, you're using your visuals to kind of read the words. When it's music, you're using your ears and you're just listening to it. However, what the story is being told in books and music, there's a certain way that it's being told to kind of guide you through it. And when it comes to music, when you're listening to it, you're relating it to certain emotions, certain experiences that you have had personally. So it just connects with you in a completely different way. When it comes to books as well, it's a little bit different where if you're reading through a story, what ends up happening is you kind of come up and kind of like picture the whole entire story in your head and you create the characters in your head the way that you think they should be. So you're kind of creating your own world within this other person's world as well. When you're watching a movie, you're seeing someone else's creation and there's not going to be any changes from that. When you're doing it in your head, you're the one kind of picking up, picking it up. You're kind of the one using your emotions and your thought process to create what's going on, to create the connection within that book or within that song. So it does have more of this emotional response to it that lasts a lot longer over time. Yeah, people naturally, um, especially when it comes to music, and uh, and I would even go so far as to agree with you on the book thing, uh, people are filters. So, you know, you, you take in this information, but you filter it through uh, this sort of, this framework and this matrix of, of not only, you know, who you are naturally as a person, but then you filter it through all of your experiences and all of your compare and contrast mechanisms that you have with other forms of music. And it's truly subjective. People use the word subjective with music all the time, but it's truly subjective because I, you know, you could listen to it and I could listen to it and have two separate, completely separate impressions. You know, there are people out there who love Justin Bieber. I'm not one of them, but they love it. You know what well, I mean? That, their, their, their filter that Justin Bieber comes into their, their life and into their heart and they love it so much. They've got a different filter. Um, so that's, that gets back to the subjectivity of it. You, there's, 
And it, it, there are things that I like that people don't really like. Like I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of a guy named Joe Jackson. I don't, you probably not familiar with him. Uh, I'm not talking about Michael Jackson's dad, Joe Jackson. I'm talking about the, he's a British artist that was sort of popular in the late seventies through the early eighties. Um, still tours when people are touring. I saw him a few years ago, but I'm a huge fan of Joe Jackson. And most people that I know, it goes right over there. It's like, they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand what I see in it, but that's okay. Because that's my filter, you know? Um, and that's one of the great things about music. You just, you, you're, once you find what you love, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. No, oh, I totally agree. There's certain things that the, like people I talked with, my friends too, they don't understand why I like certain music that I like. Like if I'm listening to, like we're driving somewhere and all of a sudden they give me, okay, Kevin, put on the song. Everyone's always worried because you don't know exactly what the heck I'm going to put on. There are times where all of a sudden I'll put on some like something from Ice Nine Kills because I really like the band. And everyone's like, why do you even want to associate with this? And I mean, I've got a whole story behind it, but then all of a sudden, I'll do a complete, like, not really complete 180. I'll just go the next step over, play something from Motionless and White, and all of a sudden I've got three of my friends. They're super into the band out of nowhere. I'm like, well, I guess it's just the emotional, like, the emotional trigger, the emotional response that you guys had to that song that I played. You must have really liked it. So, woohoo. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things is to share music with people. And the frustrating thing is, I remember. Uh, back in the day that when you were going to share music with somebody, you actually had to be with them. And, you know, you, you know, like you were just saying in the car or, you know, hanging out at, at your house and be like, Oh man, Hey, check out this CD. I've got, you could actually share music with people in person. And now most of the time when I share, try to share music with people, it's like through text message. It's like, I'll send them a link to the Spotify or whatever. I'll be like, man, you got to check this out. And I know most of those guys aren't checking this stuff out. You know, they just, there's something about it, man. It's difficult to actually get people to sit down and, and take what you like seriously. There's that sort of, uh, and I'm guilty of it. The thing is, I'm guilty of it. People will send me stuff and I I just won't, I just won't take the, time or the initiative that it takes to really invest and try to get into what it, because obviously there must be some power there. You know, um, my, my drummer, Matt is a huge fan of, of a couple of bands and I won't say the name of the bands because what I'm going to tell you right now is I don't really like them. So I won't say who the bands actually are, but he's constantly sending me links and he's like, dude, you have to give this a chance. You have to give this a chance. And it's, it just takes time away from the things that I already know I like. You know what I mean? It's difficult to invest in something new sometimes. Um, so I'm guilty of it myself. But I, I liked the days when you had a record or a CD or a cassette tape or something and you had proximity with other people and you could actually share music with them in the moment, in the room with them. And you could be right there and say, man, I love this part of the song. This This reminds me of this or... Or, uh, you know, check out how awesome this solo is or whatever. It's just, there was a, a more, there was more dialogue maybe is the word I'm looking for when you're in a room with somebody. But now it's difficult to get in rooms with people these days. It definitely is. And I do have to agree with you 100% where it is something completely different. It's more of a, 
in a way, like a spiritual, like religious experience in a way when you're going to sit down with someone and show them music and kind of just gauge the reaction and just can you could because you're not only connect with the music and having that other person connect with the music, but you're connecting with that person the exact same time as well. During like earlier in the pandemic, um, one of my friends came over and her and I were just sitting down. We literally sat here for like two, three hours and it was just listening to music and it was every single time something came up, it was okay. She'd say, okay, play me a song that, you know, it's always some sort of emotion that reminds you of this, that makes you feel like this, whatever it is. And I'd play something and I'd explain the whole, I, like listen to it and then i explain why I would, you know, why I connected with that song. Ask her the same question and all of a sudden I'm listening to something completely different than anything I'd listened to and then hearing how she would interact with that music as well. And there's certain things I picked up. I'm like, I'm starting to understand some of these things now with certain different kinds of music and why people connect with it. And then her and I became closer all because of it. And it was actually one of the coolest things ever. This would never have worked if all of a sudden I'm like, oh, here's a playlist of songs I like. I have done that with a friend before who asked me to do that. And now she's into a bunch of the bands that I like just because I showed her a couple of songs and she's like, can you send me more of this stuff? So I created a Spotify playlist that's got like 130 songs on it and it keeps growing like every single month because I'm finding so much more new music. I'm like, here, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Just put it on shuffle. You'll find it. Yeah. I really, uh, it's that difficult conversation. Um, but once you're able to connect with it, that's where that magic is, man. It's, there's, there's nothing quite like it. And while again, I've been a musician, professional musician to one degree or another, pretty much my entire adult life. Um, and I'm blessed for that. I can't, imagine being this excited like not to shit on people who work at pizza hut but if i go to pizza hut and my living is making pizzas at pizza hut i'm not going to be excited about pizza at home you know like even if it's from <laughs> even if it's from you know papa john's or some other pizza place uh you don't get that passionate, excited. Like I get to do something for a living and play music and perform it and write it. But then I also get to enjoy it when I'm at home in my off time, when I'm driving down the road, when I'm working out, I get that. It's almost always I'm surrounded by music in some capacity. And uh, it's been such a blessing over the course of my life. And I just, it's difficult for me to imagine if I, you know, in some alternate universe, some Twilight Zone scenario where I just didn't grow up with music, I have no idea who I would be. I can't even fathom the person I would be without music today. I think there's a lot of musicians and a lot of people that are very deep into music that would agree with you, me being one of them, because, heck, if it wasn't for music, when I went through some super dark times in life, I never would have gotten out of it if it wasn't for listening to bands like Rise Against, listening to bands like Skillet or 30 Seconds to Mars or Three Days Grace. And all of a sudden now, I mean, I get it's yeah, I still work as a, a full time data analyst. But every time I'm doing something with that, I'm listening to somebody's music. I'm listening to something I like or I'm listening to something that I'm getting ready to do a podcast for, getting doing some research on. And I'm just finding out so many different things. And all of a sudden I come home after everything go like I'll go work out in the gym and I'm always listening to music all the time come home and I'm super excited to just jump into this and just dive headfirst into this and really enjoy it even more and make it more of my whole entire life in a way just because 
it like again it dec like I said that quote it decorates time and there's so many different things I can go back to and remember just based off of that music and how it makes me happy and then I get to talk with people that do that for a living and we get to share all these experiences and just share everything about it and hopefully get more people to connect with the music as well in the same way we feel about it and potentially improve improve lives that way. Well said. I, f- I was well, like, yeah, it. well said. I, I, I don't know what I could add to that without just repeating what you just said, but I agree with it. And, and, uh, it, it all comes down to, uh, me really actively feeling a gratitude that I'm able to, to do this and, and that I even got the bug for music in an early age. I'm, I'm just really thankful for it, you know? Oh, totally understandable. I think that you having that gratitude, realizing that and having realized that for your whole entire life at this point, I think that's a great way to kind of bring this podcast to a close because we've talked about so many great things. We've talked about so many different things that you've done also with Blitzkrieg as well with picking up on so many different sounds, so many different influences within this album as well. Again, I mentioned them stuff like, I mean, Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters on certain things. Even I brought up Motley Crue. I brought up Mark Tremonti. I've, I've, there's a track that reminded me of a like like again that Motown funk song. There's something that reminded me of Black Hole Sun. There's something that reminded me of 2009 Three Days Grace, which is really crazy because that one song I talked about that I liked then hated and now feels like a redemption thing was off of a 2009 Three Days Grace album. So it just was like all this weird connection stuff. It was completely awesome going through this whole entire album. So. I really enjoyed listening to it. It's a great start for Bliss Creek, and I cannot wait to see what you guys do going forward with it. Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate it, and we're we're looking forward to seeing where we go <laughs> with it next, too. It, the, the crazy thing, uh, I'll just add that, um, you know, people often ask, you know, what's, what's going on with Bliss Creek? What's the next step? And the next step literally changes every day when we wake up because what we've realized is is with the pandemic, it, it's just ridiculous to attempt to make any long-term plans because you just never know what's going to happen. So we are, um, we're passionate about the music. We want to promote it. Um, eventually we would love to tour it, uh, in, in some limited capacity or, or who knows, maybe freaking balls out touring, you know? Uh, I just, it's not realistic to make those sort of expectations. Um, so we're just, we're literally day by day. We, we talk on the phone, we text and we say, okay, guys, what are we doing today? And, uh, which is weird, man. I'm the kind of guy that normally has the next six months of my life planned out and I don't have that right now. So we'll see where it goes. We will definitely see where it goes, but for everyone listening to the podcast, again, Anything can change in terms of with the pandemic. You never know what's going to happen. So make sure you keep up on everything with Blitzkrieg. So I'll say this. When it comes to finding them online, social media-wise, YouTube-wise, where you can stream their music, where you can find them online. If you guys got merch out, I'll find it. Here's what we're going to do. I do this for everybody so that the listeners, the watchers on YouTube, easy way to get into the band. Look at the description of the podcast. You're going to see something that says find Blitzkrieg online. You're going to see just like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, website, merch, Spotify, Apple Music, and then links to everything for them. So it's a one-stop shop, able to easily get into the band, follow the band, because you're going to want to listen to this record. You're going to want to follow them so that when they go out and play live, hopefully sometime in 2021, which is looking more and more promising, especially with the vaccine rollout, 
you're going to want to go check them out. So making it super easy for you. I appreciate that, brother. You are very welcome. And as I close out this podcast, well, one thing I always do, Jesse, is when it comes to podcasts that I absolutely enjoy doing, which is pretty much almost every single one at this point, I would like to make a promise. And also this kind of comes on what we talked about earlier with the whole entire Jurassic Park video game, because if there's a chance where we can get together and actually beat this thing, I'm totally in for it. And this is not an if, this is a when I get to see you play live for the first time. First round's on me. Well, now I have to play a show because nothing gets between me and a free drink. Exactly. (laughs) All righty. And and then if if, honestly, if we're going to try and beat that Jurassic Park game, I'll probably be drunk buying drinks the whole time time we're trying to play that thing and beat it. (laughs) Sounds good, man. I'll add that on top of that. So, Jesse, I cannot in all good conscience end this podcast with goodbye because that just seems wrong. So I have to end it with my favorite thing. See you later. See you later. Whoa, folks, that was my interview with Jesse from the band Blitzkrieg. I hope you guys really enjoyed that because there is definitely something about this episode that was incredible when it just comes to how we connect with music. And when I was able to bring up that quote, I cannot remember where I saw where it was. Again, art decorates space, but music decorates time. When we jumped into that, oh my Lord. Again, now you're really seeing why so many artists really just connect with music on such a spiritual level such a religious level why i do the same why there's so many people that do the same as well why we are always listening to music why we cannot stop why it's always playing is one of the most beautiful things in the world and we really went deep with it today so again check out bliss Creek. their brand new album remedy is out now again take a look at the description of the podcast whether you're watching on youtube streaming on spotify or podcast google play iHeartRadio. all the links to find bliss Creek on social media on youtube their website their merch Streaming their music is all down there along with our stuff as well. So please follow us at MSOTD Rocks to really enjoy it all. And on that note, that's going to be for me today, guys. Thank you for watching and listening to the Chord Progression Podcast by Timber City Rocks or Rock and Metal Thrive. My name is Kevin, and you guys know how I end every single one. It's up to the big, healthy, and hearty. See you. Yeah.